our final hymn selection for um, driving the sermon this Sunday will be uh, God of Grace and God of Glory. It is a hymn that I think we are all familiar with. It was written in 1930 by Harry Emerson Fosdick. And he was a one time a Presbyterian minister. Then he became a Baptist minister. I guess he really couldn't decide where he was calling home. But it was written um, for the dedication of the very famous Riverside Church in New York City. And it grew to a lot of popularity during World War II, during both World Wars. Um, it was sung. And it says that uh, the language of the hymn is ultimately that of a petition. You will hear the words when we sing it. It says, grant us wisdom, grant us courage. It also goes on to say, cure these children's warring madness and bend our pride to thy control. It also says, save us from weak resignation to the evils we deplore. He originally wrote this song to be sung to the tune of angels from the realm of glory. But then the Methodists got involved. <laughs> it says here, the Methodist hymnologist and hymnal editor Robert G. McCuthan However, first paired it to the Welsh tune that we sing today. And it became an immediate success. He goes on to write, Hymnologist William Reynolds says, Fosdick disapproved strongly of the new pairing. When Dr. Young asked the poet why he continued to oppose the use of this tune with his text, Fosdick replied, well, my views are well known. You Methodists, I love how he says that, you Methodists have always been a bunch of wise guys. That's in quotes. So, wise guys or not, we sing this song with a lot of zeal. We sing it a lot when our church gathers together for conference. We sing it a lot when clergy gather. It is one of my favorite. Upon studying this hymn, uh, the basis, the scripture for this hymn comes out of our text today, our Gospel, Matthew 21, 28. You will recognize it as the story of the Canaanite woman's faith. Jesus left the place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman from the region that came region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, 
help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's <coughs> table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And your daughter was healed instantly. The word of God for the people of God. Have you ever come to church, been in church, it sort of felt like you just maybe didn't belong, you felt uncomfortable? Did you ever feel that maybe being a Christian just didn't come naturally to you? That you were somehow not a true son or daughter among the Christians? Do you struggle with those feelings of acceptance? At some point, we all question this. We all might feel this way. But today's Bible readings address the question of being adopted. Being adopted into the family of God. They're all about people who aren't perfect, who weren't the chosen ones. But nevertheless, they make it by what? By the grace of God. These stories about that are about each one of us sitting here today. We read about this Canaanite woman who approaches Jesus. Now we know that Jesus came to save all people. And the New Testament shows us that again and again and again. But in the beginning of his ministry, Jesus ministered principally to the Jewish people. After all, they are called God's chosen people. Not that they were any better than anyone else. But God chose to reveal himself to the world through them. That's what's meant by God's chosen people. It wasn't so much as a badge of honor as much as it was really a responsibility to carry. We, we think about that differently sometimes. We think God's chosen people. Well, he chose to reveal himself to the Israelites, to the Jews, so they could spread the good news. When you open this passage, it starts with Jesus uh, withdrawing from where he was. And there's something important to notice about this. It is the first time, and any first century reader would have known this, it is the first time that Jesus leaves, goes outside the nation 
of Israel. He's gone to that land of the Gentiles, which was a big deal back then. He has left the chosen people, and he freely chose to go to the land of the Gentiles. It is the only time in the Gospels that you hear about it. It's the first time that this is mentioned, and it's very significant for us. He leaves because it is not yet his time for persecution. He knows it's coming, but this is not the time. He has, is leaving because he has just called the Pharisees and the, and the scribes, if you read up further before you get to chapter 15, he has just called these people of the church, the leaders, hypocrites. He has called them blind guides. He has said that they will be plants that will be uprooted. Those are pretty harsh words back in the day from Jesus. And he gets the real feeling that it's a pretty good idea for him to hit out of town right now because they're coming after him. And he also leaves for another important reason. He leaves so he can have time with his disciples to be alone, to instruct them. Because at this point, whenever he is traveling around, large crowds are gathering around him. He has no time to just speak with his disciples. So he goes on a bit, I guess we would call it maybe a vacation, maybe a retreat, just to be with his disciples so he can speak directly to them. And then here she comes. Just when they thought they were going to get out of town. Isn't that how it always happens? You're trying to get out of town. Your phone rings. You get an email. You get a text. Trust me, I know about this. You do too. Jesus is just trying to get out of town when this woman is hounding him. She keeps calling after him. She cries out, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by demons. Now Jesus knows in his heart what is about to transpire. He always has a purpose. He just keeps walking. And he doesn't respond to her because he's allowing her to annoy his disciples enough that they finally say to him and beg him, send her away, please, Lord. Send this nagging woman away. She's crying out after us. They don't have time for her. She's a Canaanite woman. Jesus says to them, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What he is actually saying to them is, what do I have to do with her? When Matthew continues this account and telling this story, he says, she came before him and knelt down. 
and looked at Jesus and said, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Can you see Jesus looking down in her eyes and saying to her, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now what you have to do is a little research about this. Because the Greek word in our Bible is better translated, little dogs. Meaning that they're probably referring to their pets. We're not talking about a stray mangy dog. They're talking about the pets. But it's still nonetheless demeaning some say challenging for Jesus to have said this to this Canaanite woman. But you have to take it in context because back in that day, Jews really probably thought much more of their pet dogs than they did any Gentile. There was a real Division. We have a hard time thinking about that in this day and age. But back in the day, they thought more of their pet dogs than they would have this Canaanite Gentile woman. So it wouldn't have shocked the disciples to hear Jesus speak this way. They probably found it a little um, reaffirming, confirming of their very own prejudices that they had grown up with, they probably thought what he said was very appropriate. But the woman, seemingly the victim of the Jewish prejudice, rather than getting mad and getting upset, what does she do? She accepts this rebuke by the Lord. And she says, yes, Lord, even the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's plate. In doing so, this Canaanite woman, by her answer, is putting the Jews to shame because they thought they were the chosen. And in doing so, she proves herself more acceptable to God than they are. The difference is she didn't take pride in her chosenness because she does not take God's grace for granted. She realized she is probably undeserving of God's grace. And this pleases Jesus. Because he sees the true attitude of her heart. The scribes and the Pharisees truly thought they were the fit thing. That they had it made. That they were the only ones who belonged. In the synagogue, they never wondered if they were going to be accepted. They never wondered if they were trespassing in God's house. Because they were, after all, the ones that were supposed to be there. 
They were God's chosen. The scribes and the Pharisees were the so-called leaders of their church. The chosen of the chosen. The top of the heap. Doesn't change much. There are always those who think they are chosen, more chosen than others. But Jesus does not tell his disciples that they are to become scribes and Pharisees. Who does he say that they should emulate? If you read the gospel, you're going to see it. Jesus says it in Matthew. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It is not our self-importance. It is not our self-righteousness that is important. Those, in fact, are obstacles. The Lord teaches us that it is the humility that is the key that opens the door to God's kingdom. Not how important we think we are, not how self-righteous we think we are, but a quality that we all have struggled wrapping our heads around. Humility. If you're familiar with Abba Anthony and the uh, Desert Fathers, they were a group of priests um, early in Christianity that wandered uh, in Palestine and North Africa. They were very remote. They were like hermits. Uh, Abba Anthony writes, he had a vision from the Lord on the topic of humility. He says, I saw the snares that the enemy spreads out over the world. And I said, groaning, what can get through such snares? Then I heard a voice saying to me, humility. And the eyes, in the Jewish eyes, the Canaanite woman had three stripes against her. She was a foreigner. She was a heretic. And unfortunately, in that day and age, she was a woman. But it was by her humility and her faith that she proves herself more worthy of God's grace, more pleasing to God's heart more a true child of the Father than the scribes and the Pharisees. That's a lot for us to think about. Because the scribes and the Pharisees thought a lot of themselves. They felt they were the only ones who really got the blessings from God and then they passed those blessings on to others. No one has a right to God's grace. It's 
hard to hear. No one has a right to God's grace. No one is born into the kingdom of God naturally. And if you've wondered whether or not you really belong here, let me remind you that we are all adopted sons and daughters. None of us are specifically privileged in God's eyes. In fact, it is those who feel comfortable, the most comfortable sometimes in their faith, that are often the ones that are in the most trouble. The modern-day Pharisees and the modern-day scribes. Just as in Jesus' time, he rejected the religious elite. But those whom the world rejected, like the Canaanite woman, Jesus reaches out to. We see it time and time again in his ministry. It is those on the fringes, those in the margins, those with the humility. The same is true today. God looks not at the world as we see it. He doesn't even really look at the world. He looks beyond that. He looks into the attitude of our hearts. A true child of God is not known by their race, gender, or social class. The privileged status of many who call themselves Christians does not impress God. It is our humble heart that pleases Him. It is the actual living of our faith that pleases Him. The fact is, we are all unworthy of His grace, of His redemption, of His salvation. It is because of his love for us that he offers it to each one, each one of us who is a child of God. It is the devil who whispers in our ear when Jesus says, I love you. He is the one that says, did you hear that? I don't think so. You're not worthy. You are worthy. We are all worthy in his sight. We are all worthy to be loved by God and to be loved by one another. Because above all else, Everybody sitting with you today, everybody that's not here today, is equally a child of the one true God. Amen and amen. amen.